Welcome to Pastors of the Roundtable, the discipleship podcast of Monroe Missionary Baptist Church, brought to you by Together in Christ, the teaching ministry of MMBC in Monroe, Michigan. We encourage thoughtful discussion about the Christian faith and connect you to the people and the ministries of MMBC. Sitting around the table today, we've got Pastor Scott, Pastor Tim, and myself, and we are uh, here to begin a new series walking through a book called Democratic Religion, Freedom, Authority, and Church Discipline in the Baptist South, 1785 to 1900. It's a riveting read. Um, uh, Tim, Tim. Riveting. <clears throat> riveting. No, I mean, it will keep word. you on your edge the yeah. whole time <laughs> as you are going through. The edge through. of what? The edge yeah. of sanity? Yeah, the, the edge of <laughs> the edge of something. Um no, it's, I actually really liked it. It's by Gregory Wills. He uh, teaches, I think, now at Southwestern Baptist Theological Seminary. Um, but it's a book that walks through um, the way that Baptist churches in the past, basically the, uh, the 19th century, the 1800s, um, how they conducted their church life, in particular um, church discipline and how big of a role that played in what it meant to be a Baptist um, Isn't the book specifically about Southern Baptists? Yes. Not just Baptists in the South? Well, it's about, I think it's about Baptists. It's because it has stuff before the Southern Baptist Convention was formed. Okay. So, yeah, in a sense, it would be small s Southern Baptists um, because it does have information before 1845, before the convention was formed. So, um, but yeah, it, it does have a big big chunk of it would be connected to our own denomination, but also the whole roots that we, we come from. But it's a very helpful book in the sense in which it talks about what it meant to be a Baptist in that century, our Baptist forefathers, um, and particularly how they lived their life together as church members, how they held each other accountable, um, um, and what they just what they thought it meant to be a uh, Baptist. Now, Scott, you have read the book um, before several years ago, what, what is your, what was your initial read of it? Like, what did you think about why, why should people listening to this? Um, because he was on the edge of his seat the whole time. (laughs) Why should people care about this topic? They don't need to necessarily read the book, but why would it be interesting to at least discuss some of the, the topics in the book that are pertinent for us today as well? So I had to read this book as a part of my, um, Baptist church history class first seminary. And the, what this book specifically did for me was just kind of open my eyes to a different way of church life, of what has been considered, that what we consider normal today, church life, is actually very new. And things that I would consider to be strange, uh, or at least used to consider strange, was actually common and expected and was kind of a hallmark of what it meant to be part of a Baptist church in the past. And so it, it, it was just eye-opening to get a good historical perspective of Baptist churches, because I think today we kind of have the feeling of, well, it, I grew up with this, and this is what the church is now, therefore that's what this, that's what it means to be Baptist. Right. Um, but that's actually, if you don't have a good historical perspective and understand the way that uh, even your own denomination has changed over the last 50 or 100 years, um you kind of just miss out. Yeah, because our denomination is actually around almost 180 years old. Yeah. Um, 
So, so you mentioned you were kind of you were pretty general there. What are some things? Um, what are some things that you've noticed that you said there's some things that are new that were that weren't done then? Like what in particular? Is there some like a couple of particular examples that come to your mind that you say that you thought was strange but actually was quite normal back then? Are there a couple of examples that you have in mind? Yeah, so, I mean, regarding this book specifically, we could talk about other things, I guess, but what this book is really going to get into is is heavily an issue of uh, church discipline, what's called church discipline, but also just congregational church government. Yeah, real quick, you can hear Pastor Tim's, the, the yogurt, in, in it's, it's, he's eating yogurt out of a cottage cheese container, <laughs> I've noticed. Um so that's what Does you're that hearing. You put the cottage cheese in the microwave and melted it. <laughs> Turned into yogurt. Yeah. He's hearing you're hearing <laughs> the difference. You're hearing the scraping of his plastic bowl with a plastic spoon. So that's what you're hearing. Go ahead, Scott. Yeah. It's going to bring up issues of church discipline but also of church government and how uh the I mean people who are I'm I'm assuming that the vast majority of people who would listen to this here at our church are not going to be familiar with those terms right. necessarily maybe church government, but how serious it, it seemed to be to the church in the South uh, a couple hundred years ago of the the call for the church in, in the Baptist sense or a congregationalist sense to govern itself mm-hmm. and what that meant and what they cared about. Right. Um, like I think today we think of church business meetings as focusing on business or administrative things. They didn't see it so much as that. Well, well real quick – even that name is different yeah, yeah. from what they would have called those things yeah. because we we call them business meetings and what comes to our mind yeah. typically with I don't know if I think of the word business you can think of personnel issues or church member issues but the emphasis is usually on financial yeah. or staffing give issues. a financial update give an update on the ministries and what they're doing yeah. uh, to make sure church members are informed. That, that is not what their meetings were about, right. primarily. I'm sure they had to deal with that stuff. Sure. But these meetings are pretty heavily just talking about caring for their, their church members mm-hmm. in, in ways that, uh, that if sin needs to be addressed, and primarily focused on protecting the purity of the church. Right, right. And um, I think that that is a foreign concept. Real, really, what we're going to get into is <clears throat> there were meetings— that um, for them, they actually called these conference meetings, um, but really it was kind of like family time for the church. Yeah, it was like this is family time where we we talk about how are we doing as a family, and if there's people that are living in obvious public sin, then we deal with that, yeah. or we you know that that's actually what this was. Yeah. So uh, the church that I came from, Mercy Hill, we. When we, we, we planted that church, and so we had the opportunity to kind of start that process and keep those meetings there. And when there was an issue like this that we would have to deal with, we would call it family business. Like, mm. we have some family business we need to discuss, you know. And right. so our kind of the tone of our meetings would change or things that sure. we would do. But that's what we referred to it as is this is family business time. And that's roughly what they thought of it, too, as, as these meetings. Um Tim, any initial thoughts? You've not read the book, but you've the the wisdom that you bring anyway. Book. You <laughs> saw the book. You've seen the book. I've seen it. Yes, it's purple. And <clears throat> yeah, it looks like Lakers a little bit. It does kind of look like the Lakers colors. Yes, yes, a little bit. Is that why you like it? Um, 
Not not necessarily. No. No. Okay. No. No. But um. <laughs> okay. I think what Scott said about <clears throat> it opening his eyes is is true. I mean, I've I've been through that. I feel like just in my life, just in general, of like growing up here, I just assumed everything we did here was what all Southern Baptists did. Mm. And same with like belief. Sure. Um, and so I just assumed our services would look like they would anywhere else, you know, maybe bigger or smaller, whatever, but pretty much the exact same. And uh, what I've found is I've learned more about our denomination or just about Baptists even in general is uh, there's a pretty big spectrum and time has changed things. And you see influences, I think, from other denominations and other theological beliefs that have crept in that have changed things and so when you go back this far in history and look at baptists i think it would seem very foreign i would assume there's some similarity for sure Mm -hmm. uh but a lot of it i think would be foreign i i I would guarantee in terms of like what we're talking about with church business but probably also like worship services um sermons uh all that kind of stuff i think would probably be very different and today, if you were to say, "Hey, look at this is this is a Baptist church," it would be off-putting probably to a lot of people, or seem, I don't know what the word would be, but it would be very strange. Yeah. I think in some ways, there's a there's a quote I forget how it exactly goes, but they mentioned basically um, history is a strange place. They do things different back there, and that's one of the things I think that, of course, I'm. I'm naturally drawn to learn. I like learning about history. That's something I really like naturally. But there is a helpful thing in which list looking and and um, studying history forces you to listen to people that are different from you. And actually, that's whenever we can really learn a lot about our own selves because they didn't do everything right in the past. Um, we're not doing and and we're not doing everything wrong in the present. Uh, but. That's where it's been helpful, though, because there's been times where I'm like, I don't know why we do this, you know, as I've grown. And I think, I would think, I think it should be done this way to be scriptural. Sure. And what has been nice is at times when I go back and I see, oh my gosh, that's exactly what Baptists did 150 years ago. And it's been helpful for me to be like, okay, I'm not crazy. Yes. I think we've gone a little stray in this. Yeah. Maybe we need to button things up or whatever. Right. Yeah. I think it's helpful because you're having a conversation with um because one of the problems right is we we can only have conversations typically with living whenever they're with living people many times they're sharing they're sharing common assumptions common because we're just living in the same time um and so looking at history um studying it some um helps us to have a, a in a sense a conversation with the past with people that are not in our time and place that can maybe bring a little bit of perspective to us um, that's one of the helpful things about history. It kind of gives us perspective, uh, perhaps to help us to see, nope, we are doing right thing. We're doing this well right now, but maybe, maybe they did have a point over here that we can, we can just check ourselves a little bit. That's where I think history is, is helpful, mm-hmm. particularly as we look at our, our particular branch of the, the Christian church, the Baptist tradition. Um, it, it's helpful. It's helpful in that way. Okay. So the first chapter this book obviously is going to be, it's called Democratic Religion because it's talking about um, Baptist church life um, as an exercise in um, democracy within the local church. 
um, as congregationalism. So the, the first chapter is called Democratic Exclusivism, and that's where we're kind of going to kind of use this as a, a launching point for some conversations today um, about uh, what they believed and, and just kind of how it's similar, but also how it's, like we talked about, somewhat strange compared to what we do today. Um, so first of all, in this in this section, he, um, well, let me look here. What is the opening um, section here he has here? Um, yeah, listen, this is kind of an interesting way that he opens up the chapter. He says follow, this. Follow along, Tim. Listen to this, Tim. Tim, ready? Amen. In 1806, William Barnes, estranged from some of the members of the Savannah First Baptist Church, requested letters of dismission in order that he and his family might join another church. The church, believing that Barnes had neglected his religious duties, charged him with continued absence from the church and from the table of the Lord at our communion. On the advice of Pastor Henry Holcomb, they voted to deal with him gently, pronouncing against him the lowest censure of the church to wit, rebuke. But he ignored them. One month later, the church again cited him to answer for his absence. Interpreting his actions as rebellion against their authority, they expressed their grief at the apparent contempt with which Brother William B. Barnes has for a long time treated us by his perpetual absence from our days of discipline, as well as from our communion seasons, not partaking with us of the Lord's Supper. When Henry Williams delivered the church's message, Barnes exploded in frustration. His attempts to cast off ecclesiastical control had failed. According to Williams's account, Barnes appeared very angry, expressed dissatisfaction with some of the brethren, and at length swore, dis, swore profanely that he would not appear at any ecclesiastical court, for that he hated them and always had hated them. When Barnes did not appear as summoned, the church raised the stakes, disparring him from the privileges of membership, including the Lord's Supper, and resolved that Brother William B. Barnes, not only for his repeated contempt of this church, but also for, for the horrid sin of profane swearing, be suspended. The church's forbearance extended two months more. This is a quote from, from them. Our beloved Pastor Holcomb stated to the church that it was a long since... It was long since the church had expected that our brother William B. Barnes would have been publicly expelled by excommunication from the special privileges of this church. That he, however, had thought proper to write to him and had used every argument to induce his return to his duty and to order, hoping thereby to gain him by love. That he had also received letters from him, but that he was sorry to inform the church that there was no reason from the spirit in which he wrote to hope for his wished for restoration. The church, after expressing much sorrow for the necessity which impelled them, unanimously resolved to excommunicate the offending brother from this church. But in order that the cup of forbearance should, as it were, be drained towards him, they agreed that his sentence should not be made public till next Lord's Day a week, that he may have opportunity to seek restoration on gospel principles. When the church informed Barnes, he said he was willing they proceed to his ex excommunication. On Sunday, Pastor Henry Holcomb, towards the latter part of his forenoon sermon, in a very moderate and delicate manner, pronounced the church's act of excommunication against Mr. William B. Barnes. In the final action of this four-month drama, Savannah Church unceremoniously demoted Brother Barnes to Mr. Barnes. So that is an opening example he gives of what Baptist church discipline um, looked like. And you'll notice at the very beginning how it all started because this guy, uh, William Barnes, who was a brother or a member of Savannah First Baptist Church, simply asked for a letter so that he and his family could go to a different church. 
And the church responded by saying, you haven't been here with us for a long time. And they tried to win him back um, over the course of months, we're told. So it wasn't like this was a hasty action. But eventually they put him under censure. They rebuked him. And then eventually they, after trying to win him back and to restore him back, they excommunicated him. Um, Tim, hearing that story, what is your initial, like, just as you hear this story about church discipline over 200 years ago, what's your thoughts? I mean, as you hear that, I mean, I mean, I think, I think today, if a church were to do that, at least here, <laughs> uh, it would be seen as extremely unloving, unkind, uncaring for that person. And I think word would even spread about it. Why do you think we would it would be regarded as unloving or uncaring? Uh, because what people would say is the nice thing to do is be happy that they were going to go to church somewhere. Why do you care that they're going to that they're you know not going to be at yours? And so you're just being selfish would be the thought, right? Sure. It would have, wouldn't it have just been so easy to say a letter back and say, okay, I hope the new church, you know, I hope it goes well. I hope you're a good member there. Right. Wouldn't that have just been easier? Instead, this church has to write them a letter and say, we can't do that. You haven't been here in a while. Right. You know, uh, and go through this whole process that just makes the church look mean. Um, it talked about the church's authority in there. Yeah. Where that is going to be pushed back against today big time because the church, I have my, my own authority. Right. You know, who do you think you are? You know, mm-hmm. and, and so this idea of membership is so watered down today that I have no doubt that would be seen as just unkind and completely unloving to, to many people. One of the things I noticed um, in that, they specifically mentioned, you haven't been coming to the Lord's table with us. Mm-hmm. Well, it said both. Yeah, but but I mean, it's fascinating that they specifically mentioned that. Because I'm assuming they're, <clears throat> again, this is not because of, um, I don't think this is because people are intending um, to, to miss the Lord's Supper. I just don't think it's been taught in our churches that that's a big deal. to mm-hmm. That you should want to partake of the table of the Lord with your church and that's fascinating that they bring that up specifically as a as a unique place and time um where the church is strengthened together i don't know again this idea of family right that the church is a family we're not like a family we right we're not a symbol of family we are a family that god has put together and so when it comes to like baptism and lord's supper it's been said before that Lord's Supper is uh, almost like your anniversary. Yeah. Right? I've heard that before. Well, you know, if you tell your wife, yeah, I, I haven't spent the last uh, three years with you, and I've missed three anniversaries. Right. There's a problem. Are we married? Right. You know, right. like all this, and mm-hmm. that that's the same with church attendance is I haven't seen you in years. Right. You haven't even come to our supper that we do together, right? Right. Remembering what Christ has done for us. You haven't been here. And so that's an issue. That's a, Mm -hmm. that's a problem because you, you came to this church and you, you became a member of this church and covenanted together with Mm -hmm. us, right? Saying that we were family and that the leadership and the pastors held a pastoral authority over you and care over you. And, You've rejected that every single step of the way. That's a mm-hmm. problem. And so for us now to 
hand you over to another church in good graces would be horribly wrong for us to do. It would be do. unloving. It'd be an unloving thing to do, not just to you, but to the church you're joining. Mm-hmm. Right? Right, right. you haven't been good here. You haven't been part of this family how you should have been. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I just still think today that people would be appalled when they when they hear that, you know. Mm. Uh, but like you said, they haven't been taught membership. Uh, membership, that was one of the things that jumped out too. Membership has been so watered down. It doesn't mean anything. It means you get a discount for a wedding. Yeah, I, you know? I was going to say that I think using family language to talk about your participation in a church is fairly common. Right. People like talking about, you know, we're mm-hmm. part of the family. This is a right. church family. Right. Or when people come up to me and say, you know, that they really want to, you know, to do you want to make this their church home? Yeah. Um, but I have found if you pry into that conversation or if you take it to the logical step, oh, you want to make this your home. Oh, you want to become part of our family. They don't mean in any official sense. It's it's just through voluntary association, mm-hmm. uh, not through any kind of formal commitment, mm-hmm. and um, and that's why, like you know, um, you know, you asked him for the reaction of what what we think the reaction would be if we tried doing something like what happened to Mr. Barnes, yeah, Billy, Bill Barnes, Billy Barnes. <laughs> if we tried that doing that, I, I think people today would just see that as a violation of their freedom. Yeah, like you, like I have the freedom to do this. You, you can't control me. Right. Like, what authority do you have over me? And I think a lot of times that kind of is what the issue comes down to for people. And like you know, this idea of a watered down idea of membership, or of what it means to be part of a family. Of I agree to be part of this family in terms of relationships, but you don't have any authority over me. Right. And that was a big difference. Mm-hmm. That's a huge mm-hmm. difference from what churches that what we're talking about right now in the past understood to be part of a church was not simply to be part of it through voluntary association. As long as this is beneficial to me, that's really what this is about. Um, that's more, that's consumerism. Yeah. Um, and that's, they understood that the church had a a sense of authority over Mm -hmm. them. That's what this whole process of discipline was about, was the exercising of church authority. But not just authority as like, I'm an authority figure, but of shepherding and care, yes, right? And love and concern, that's what comes with it. And I think that always has to be coupled together, you know, and it's like, you're not allowing us to do that. You know, our job is to shepherd and to care and to preach to you, and you're not here, you're not letting that happen. Um, And it's okay to say, why not? Yeah. But even that would be like an affront to people. Sure. You know, it's like, how dare you ask where I've been? Yeah. You but, know, or whatever. Yeah. And like in this issue here, it's like, you're, you're completely right. It's, it's out of a desire to shepherd and to lead and to, and to love. And it's, it's ultimately designed for the restoration of people, not the expulsion of people. But I think of, I mean, you think of a modern day example of um, like a teacher in a classroom who has absolutely no authority in many cases to actually discipline the students who are acting out in that classroom. And so any kind of authority, so so to speak, that they have, it's not real. There's no bite to it. There's nothing that they can actually do. And so in that sense, it's like there, there needs to be some kind of bite to authority, uh, not to be abused, to be carefully used as a tool of correction. And that's what this is. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, And yeah, I think people would see that as a, 
violation of their own personal freedom. Yeah, I think a lot of people, too, would see it as just unnecessary, right? Like this guy, uh, Mr. Barnes or whatever, mm-hmm. hadn't been going to the church, right? Just sent a letter saying, hey, we're going to go to this church. And then the church responds by saying, no, you can't you can't unjoin our church right? because you haven't been in good standing. And so they went through this process, right, of um, kind of like you're on probation right now. Yeah. Then it goes another month. We've reached out. Still nothing. Okay, now your probation's been stepped up a little greater. Okay, now it's it's getting to the point we're going to kick you out of the church. Now, see, to some people be like, that's so dumb that you went through all that. He wanted to be kicked out. He didn't want to be there. but <clears throat> And they would say, this just seems so unnecessary. But again, it shows the importance of membership and being out of the family. It's like you can't just say I'm not part of your family anymore. It doesn't it doesn't work that way? Right. You right. know, you can't resign. Yeah, yeah. You, there it, was there was literally no possibility of uh, you could. This is one of the things that's shocking probably to people if they hear this. You cannot in the in the 1800s you could not resign from a Baptist church. Right. Mm-hmm. You could be dismissed lawfully with a blessing to be transferred to another church, mm-hmm. but you could not resign. Another Baptist church. Do another Baptist church. You could not resign <laughs> yeah. in the thin air. Right. You that was not a possibility. You either died, you were excommunicated, or you were dismissed as a member in good standing and by to another. Excommunicated we mean excluded from the privileges of membership. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And treated as an unbeliever, probably. Yeah. Yes. Yes. Would have been treated as that because that's what scripture says right. to do right. at times. Yeah. So yeah. Treat them as if they're an unbeliever. So that doesn't mean you don't don't love them. Don't love them. You don't do anything right. with them. It's just you're going to be sharing the gospel with them sure. just like an unbeliever, right? Sure. You're going to be treating them like it's no longer Brother Barnes. Yeah, you're Mr. Barnes now. <clears throat> you're now Mr. Barnes. You're just like my neighbor in the mm-hmm. community. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, and again, I just think some people would look at that and say, it just seems so unnecessary. You just cause fights. It's causing division. Yeah. But something... Um, this might be getting a little too far ahead. I don't know exactly where the book is going. I forgot. But something that I read uh, in a different book recently was talking about um, this this topic of church discipline and was saying, I can't remember the exact definition, that the, why the question of why is it important if, like you brought up the question uh, kind of of like the, the pragmatic reasons What's the pragmatic reason for doing this? Is it really going to cause Mr. Barnes to want to come back to our church? It just seems to be making him more angry, you know, and want to leave all the more. And so what's the purpose of this? I think that's another reason why uh, churches today would not want to make this a common practice is because it doesn't seem to be practically helpful. Um, But that goes without saying, like, you know, we don't always look at what pragmatism says if scripture says that we need to do this we do it and that's where examining in scripture would happen but what i was reading in a different book the other day on this subject was talking about how when the church makes that pronouncement when they excommunicate someone what they're doing is is making a like a it's like a proclamation that foreshadows unfortunately what they see is going to happen on the last day at judgment to that person because for all intensive purposes the evidence that that person is showing right here in the world the church does not have authority to declare upon someone that they are not saved what they do have the authority to do is to exclude them from the body because they're at least acting like they're not saved and so in a way it's almost like a uh, 
like a foreshadowing uh, of what is to come for that person. It's an act of judgment on that person to say, if you keep going down this road, we can exclude you from this body. Christ can exclude you from heaven. Right. Right. And it's a very serious. So in that light, with that kind of theological understanding of this action, it it was a very serious thing to be excommunicated from the church. I think about it in this way, too. We, We talk about the division in Scripture between law and gospel. The law condemns us and tells us our sin. The gospel tells us of our forgiveness in Christ. Similarly, church discipline, that happens in preaching. Um, We preach the law and we preach the gospel, but similarly, church discipline has a law gospel function. To those who are living in unrepentant, blatant, immoral sin, church discipline, and if you're unrepentant, it preaches the law to you and which can lead to excommunication but also it can preach the gospel because oftentimes as you'll see in this book it also brought about restoration Mm -hmm. and confession of sin and then forgiveness so it also then preached the gospel to those people too um, at the same time so i think you see that law gospel dynamic at play even in this um as well i think one of the fears of doing stuff like this today and maybe you can help. I don't. I don't know what the church scene looked like back then. Like, uh, was there a ton of churches around? Like a ton of Baptist churches? Well, I mean, I don't know if you know this Mm-mm. answer, Spencer, or not. No. But like today, we fight just to get people to come and stay. Sure. And so many people. It's crazy to me. So many people will go to multiple churches mm-hmm. in a year, and it's not that they're looking for a church. It's just what they do, right? And so it almost comes with that mentality in so many people's mind. If one of the churches was like, hey, you know, and went through this process, they'd be like, that's fine. I'm just going to go to the next one. Who cares? Well, there was a practice, and what we can get into that is um, for Baptist churches, many times you had the membership, which was smaller than what they called the congregation. The congregation could be much larger, Mm -hmm. but that was just – Anybody and everybody who wanted to come and hear the the word preached, but they were not willing to commit to joining the church. And so you'll hear oftentimes in Baptist churches that that the membership could be smaller or even quite smaller than the people that would regularly be coming, the congregation, which could include any number of people. And so Baptists were known as being uh, zealous for strict church discipline. Um, along with, um, I mean, they were the most strict, the, but Methodists and Presbyterians also would, would exercise church discipline. Um, the Episcopalians were probably the most uh, unrestricted, um, the, le- the most open mm-hmm. um, churches. So, um, and as we'll see too, as um, we get into it too, Baptists were also quite low on the socioeconomic ladder. So, whereas probably Episcopalians or they would have been like members of the church of England in the past, they would have been much higher. Mm -hmm. Um, So you also had class playing a role here too. Mm -hmm. Um, Social sociology comes into play here again um, to where many people looked upon Baptists as uneducated, poor, um, um, not, not genteel types. um, And uh, Gentiles, genteel, like gentlemen, right? Yeah. Gentiles too. (laughs) So, well, uh, go ahead. I, I just, I'm just trying yeah. to think through it, and yeah, there's a lack of understanding of what the church is. I think definitely uh, church membership is like you think in scripture, and it talks about 
the pastors of the church who look over your soul, right? And right. so I don't think what people think about is this, is the fact that if, if you're not a member of a church under the authority of a pastor, you have nobody looking over your soul. I think today what people think is, I'll just do it. Right. But why do I need yeah. a pastor yeah. to do it? Yeah. And it's like, well, that's not how God ordered it. No. That's not how God has planned it. You know, and you need somebody who's going to care and love you. And that's why it's so uh, difficult, I think, when you have that understanding, I think, the scriptural understanding of what pastor's work is. And when you talk to people who are doing the bouncing around to different churches and you, you ask them, you know, maybe why they're doing that. And they would just say, to me, they say it's just the most ludicrous things, you know. It's like, well, at this church, uh, I really like that one singer. And so when they sing, I like mm. to go. And this this church, I, I generally like their music as a whole. Uh, this church, I don't, but I, I like a lot of the people there. Yeah. They're very kind. But this one, he's got a guy who can really preach. I like his preaching. So I like to go there and hear him preaching. You know, and they say all this stuff and it's just like, what are you talking about? That's not what church is. That's right. not what church is a... It's about you're totally missing the point. You're you're treating it like restaurants yeah. or like movies. Right. You know, and so what we're dealing with here, you need to find a place where the pastors are going to look over your soul and feed you the word of God and where you can worship, right, and fellowship and have this fam be part of the be a part of a a family. That's what you that's what you desperately need. But that's not what you're looking for, right? And so Mm-mm. it's such a big topic because it includes all these other yeah. an understanding of scripture yeah. what is the church what is membership all that stuff uh so it's not something i think that can just be switched no no there's this is a this is a major major mind shift mm-hmm. um that that would have to take place and i think we'll see that our the baptist forefathers had much different perspectives um they were they were in a different world in many ways yeah. in regards to these things yeah I was just going to say something in response to what you said, Tim, that I think a common misunderstanding when it comes to especially this topic of church discipline when people first hear about it is that church discipline is the actions of a pastor. Right. When really— yeah. No, I was thinking that. Yeah. It's not. Right. This is the action of a church. Of the church. Of a congregation mm-hmm. to where—and when you were talking about membership and coming in to where you're sitting under the teaching of pastors who are caring for your souls— the, the pastors, that's that's me quoting a verse right there, so that's absolutely true. But in this kind of understanding of the church, of a Baptistic understanding of the church that's congregational, there's the understanding that the entire congregation is responsible for one another, to care for one another, to help one another. And this exercise of discipline, which was not, it's not restricted to pastors, it, it is... It's an action of the entire church, because that's where true, not true authority, that's where the ultimate human authority lies in baptist church government is with the congregation itself yeah yeah that's the final that's where the keys mm-hmm. um that jesus gave um congregationalists have argued resides ultimately it doesn't reside in a group mm-hmm. or an individual it resides in the local church itself mm-hmm. yeah and i think when you function as like you said scott when you function as a family and we're all caring for each other the absence of one of our family members is hurtful to them but it's also hurtful to us, and we don't normally see it that way. Uh, so, like, if you went on a family vacation, you and all your children, let's say they're older or whatever, but one of your kids is like, Dad, I can't make it, you know? And you're like, well, we were all going to go meet in South Carolina, and we had a house. It was going to be a good time. But he's like, you know, they say Nolan's older. Nolan's like, Dad, I can't make it. 
Well, you feel bummed for Nolan because he's going to miss out on the fun. But then everybody who is there is thinking, I wish Nolan and his family were here. It would make it even better. Yeah. Right. And I don't think we think about that too often because like what you were saying, I don't, we just don't see it as ministering to each other. Like my presence coming to service, uh, nobody cares if I'm gone. What does it matter? I mean, I'm not on stage. I'm not saying I'm, I'm just in here. It's like, no, it actually, it matters. It has an impact because we miss you and you, you help us sing. You help us worship. You give us joy in being here. It's also your job to minister to me as I minister mm-hmm. to you back and forth. That's what we're to do. And we're all missing that because, because you're not here again. It's just such a different thought process. I think of what church is from what so many people think of it today, that it, would take a very long time to explain that to mm-hmm. somebody, right? To grasp it and to understand. It. I mean, even myself, quite the process. No, no, it's yeah. I think that the book opens up by by highlighting one of the basic, um, uh, broad grasping things that the the Baptists were trying to understand about what the church is, which is separate from the world. The church is not the world. Mm-hmm. We are separate um, from the world, and. Um, so even whenever the Baptists, and the, and the book points out the Baptists, along with Methodists and Presbyterians, were consistently opposing any form of worldliness. I, as I was reading this book, one of the things that really hit me was... How worldly you are. Yeah, well, well, <laughs> well but I do think, though, <laughs> no, <laughs> as, I'm, as I am thinking on the one hand about um, maybe they were at certain times over, too, yeah. over the top. On the other hand, I'm thinking... Maybe sometimes I don't emphasize separation from the world enough. Sure. Um, so, and, and so one of the things he also points out in the book, um, so the Southern gentility despised the Baptist, especially as poor, uneducated, and lacking culture. Baptist social criticism and Baptist discipline exemplified not only opposition to sin, but also a separation of social worlds. That's very important. And what, what he's saying there is simply is this, because Baptists were typically poor and, and relatively uneducated compared to many others of the, 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 the gentleman class, so to speak, um, whenever they were opposing sin, they were also clashing with the wealthy typically in their own time because they were poor. Usually they were, they were coming into conflict with more wealthier types or uh, people that either if they went to church, they may have been like Episcopalians typically, or people like that. Um, But they were opposing the worldliness around them. And so we talked about as well that typically in Baptist churches, you would have the membership, but the congregation that would show up for the preaching or that would follow them to baptisms was much larger. And they were people that they may have considered themselves Christians, but they were not going to commit to joining this particular local church. So was there any practice uh, that you read where they would like say, you either need to join or go? No, they would let them come as long as you want to. You could be an excommunicated member and still come and hear the word. They would probably exhort you to join a church because they thought it was biblical. They but probably would, they wouldn't have access to the Lord to the Lord's Supper. No, those no, people. you could not take the right. Lord's Supper. You had no privileges other than that you was could come hear the word. Yeah, yeah. yeah. and uh, the big marking that was was baptism, separation by baptism. He writes this: undergoing baptism was a radical step, for it meant crossing the wide chasm from a life of moral autonomy to a life of submission to the moral authority of the church. 
and Baptists made that passage narrow, admitting only those who fulfill the list of conditions. And then he also points this out as well. Baptisms were public affairs transacted outdoors. That makes me even wonder today, there's nothing wrong. There is nothing wrong. And I want to repeat that. There's nothing wrong with having a baptistry inside your church. We're not sinning by that. At the same time, it is interesting to think about what would our relationship and the to the world be if our baptisms were only done outdoors as theirs were. Because what that publicly meant just by simply doing them outside was this is a public separation from the world. And the congregation would go down to the river with them and see this done. And there was an obvious preaching of this person is now no longer morally autonomous. They don't belong to themselves anymore. They belong to Christ. And because they belong to Christ, they're also now giving themselves to this church. So you're seeing um, uh, built into the Baptist understanding of baptism and of, of what it means to be a Christian, you don't belong to yourself anymore. So right away, we've moved away from the radical individualism that characterizes us today to where, no, I am, I don't belong to myself. I belong to Christ, and now I belong to my brothers and sisters um, in the Lord. And, and then there's another quote. So eventually they, um, they talk about Baptist exclusivism as another section of the chapter. And um, so they talk about the importance of preaching and discipline. This is interesting. This says, as Baptists saw it, both the preaching of the gospel and the exercise of church discipline served the vision of the pure church by separating the righteous from the unrighteous. And eventually one, one author, one writer would say this, a church is a sort of bench of judges. Um, so we'd often think about, yeah, we want to preach the gospel. We want to, we want to love one another, but how often do we think about the exercise of church discipline as the Baptists did as part and parcel of, of, um, what it means to be a, a faithful Baptist church or a faithful church at all. Then the next thing they talk about is something that we don't, that I, that I think this is something I would really, I would like to talk about with you guys here. They had a thing called conference meetings. These were, we would call them business meetings typically, but they have conference meetings. Um, and uh, these were, these are, but they're different in, in some ways than what we do at business meetings. They say this, um, at the heart of Baptist democratic religion were gatherings called conference days or conference meetings, although the less common name, Days of Discipline, was more descriptive. Church members came together once a month for their conference meeting. Pastors, having charge of three or four churches, conducted the conferences on a weekend with pruning of the congregation done on Saturday prior to worship on Sunday. So at these conference meetings, they would deal with, you know, election of pastors or deacons. They would welcome new members in or dismiss those who were going to another church, but they're in doing so in good standing. They would welcome new believers into the church, uh, maybe talk about church policy, property or finances, as well as whether or not to retain or expel a member who was in sin. First of all, one of the things that strikes me is they had these every month. And then second of all, they were always, they were done on Saturdays, not Sundays which I think was probably an intentional move. They did not want to um, mar the Lord's day with this, with uh, the pruning action. It seems like it seems like they wanted to keep those things um, separate. Um, what do you think about this idea of conference days 
um, and so on and so forth and, and how they're different from the way we do business meetings today. I mean, they look to be pretty similar by what you have down here. I mean, for what gets done, these are the things that we would do in our business meetings uh, pretty regularly, except you're not going to see people expelled uh, too often nowadays. Uh, <clears throat> I don't know. They might have, I don't know if it came out and said it or if you were reading into it, but if they were trying not to mar the Sabbath day, of yeah. the Sunday, I, I don't know. That potentially could be uh, the case. I don't feel guilty that we do them on Sunday evenings. Uh, no one would come on Saturday. I know that. <laughs> Which says something about the current day, honestly. It, <laughs> yeah, when, I don't know what their attendance was like at their it conference was required. Oh, it was required. For, for white male members. And remember, this is in the South, so this is with slavery still. But So we will deal with some of that later on. But at least in some require it was required for white male members to be there. Can you imagine if we required members to show up at business meetings on Sundays? Mm-hmm. <laughs> we wouldn't have many members. <laughs> we wouldn't have many members. But it was understood. This is just you signed up for this. Mm-hmm. You signed up to love and care for everyone else here. So you're going to do that by being here to talk about family business. Again, it makes sense. I can think about the myriad of things that people sign up for and they do exactly what right. we're talking right. about you know uh, the dumb parent meetings that we have to go to for different things you know but you do it because right. i signed up for this my kid's part of this or whatever it sure. is uh our work right we do these things all the time yet for some reason with church it's just like no we right probably the most important thing that we are a part of we say has the least importance or the least control on our schedule or in our lives, mm-hmm. and if the church were to try to impose itself on us, is when we would get frustrated, right, and go somewhere else, right? right. Like, I will join the church as long as there are no commitments on me. Yeah, don't put anything on me, <laughs> right? I mean, and it's it's everywhere. It's churches do this with associations they're part of. We we deal with that within our own our own association. So I'm not just sitting here like getting mad at church members. It's, sure, it's every sure. it's it's all over yeah. the place. Yeah, what strikes me about about what this conference meeting is explained as is it seems like, I mean, they're, if they're doing it every month and they're not even doing it on a Sunday, they're doing it on an extra day. They're yeah. committing to be there on an extra day. Right. That's, I mean, when we here talk about <laughs> business meetings, I mean, generally I feel like a lot of times the feeling behind that is let's have as few as possible and let's make sure that enough work gets done ahead of time to where they're as short as possible so that we actually don't have to do this, right? Because nobody enjoys it. Nobody wants to do it. And so whereas it was seen as like uh, a privilege of being a member of a church and a responsibility of being a member of a church, um, that it's it's seen as undesirable. But they don't. people don't want charge mm-hmm. over that, even in a congregational yeah. church. Well, and, and typically today, and this would have been different from back then, I would assume typically there weren't that many programs going on in your local country Baptist church in the wilderness of Georgia around 1800. It was basically um, your concerns were basically membership questions. Who, how's everybody doing in the family? And are we teaching heresy? You know, like basic things like that. There was not a bunch of organ. There was no organizational structure really to debate. They probably weren't having an evangelism report. Right, right. But when you look at this list, honestly, these meetings were probably pretty short most of the time. 
There were probably, I don't know. I mean, I'm, I'm just guessing. There was times that there were issues, but election of pastors and deacons, that's not happening every month. Right, right. Well, receiving and dismissing members in good standing. I don't know how common it was for people to move or bounce around from sure. church to church. I, I'm guessing it probably wasn't as common then as it is today. So you know. might have some, but not a but not a ton. Admitting new converts, hopefully that was happening, but I don't know if in the little They were church, interviewing them. Yeah, I don't know if, yeah. it, if in the new, if these little churches in the South, this was happening every month, right? Yeah. And then same with now resolving questions about church policy, property, finances. I'm sure there were always something every month, something that needed to be talked about, whether big or small, something. And then you would hope retaining or expelling transgressing members wasn't something that happened monthly. Now maybe they had one or two who throughout the year cuz it was it wasn't like a quick process sure. right it was a long process where they were talking about it maybe each month of somebody whatever sure. but again I don't think that takes a a long amount of time and so I wouldn't picture these as being these long things but it also probably was I would guess also a family gathering yeah you know where right. they probably didn't just come and do that there was probably more to it of sure. being together. Fried chicken, things like that. Whatever they would want Typically. to do. Typically. Enjoying each other. Yeah. yeah. I just, I don't want us to sit here and think, and, and like give them credit where they don't deserve the credit. It's like, these people, once a month on Saturday, spent three hours just discussing church stuff. No, I don't <laughs> believe that to be true. There's no way that But you don't know that to not be true. <laughs> There's no way. There's no way. Well. <laughs> they can't do all that no stuff way. for that long each time. They, what else did they have to do? <laughs> you know what I mean? You think about it, right? They were farmers. They were typically well, farmers. They go tend to their crop. Well, they would do that, but I'm just saying, yeah. They probably didn't have big old tractors and stuff. They had a lot to do. <laughs> they weren't going to eat tomorrow if they didn't well, do. <laughs> yeah. No, that's true. And that's true. There might be, and, and you do see, they do talk about instances where at least one person was really depressed because no one showed up for the meeting. And that was understood, though, as like a sign of, of a bad thing, a sign of decline. Uh, whenever no one would show up for the for yeah. the for the conference day, it was that there, was there that are, was regarded in, as as a lack of spiritual life in a church. Yeah, we definitely don't do all that they said or what I even think we should do all the time. But I definitely think I, what you said is true. We do these things, but I think the the substantive amount of time that's taken up is totally different in emphasis. Whereas theirs yeah. was definitely a membership family emphasis. Ours mm -hmm. is typically an organizational programmatic emphasis. Um, yeah, I just would think that. Um, I don't know how much. Um, we do more physical business than spiritual business. Yeah, our our business is typically oftentimes, you know, budget, finances. And that's they, why. Which, which are not bad things. We do right. need to talk about those things. And that's why, to be fair, I mean, sometimes when we, like, even as staff, we're like, okay, we have a business meeting planned. What, what old business do we have? Well, none. Everything's been buttoned up. Well, what new business do we have? Right. Well, well none, really. Right. right. There's nothing. And I can understand when that happens too often, while people would be like, well, why, why are we coming here? Right. You right. Know? Um, and so that's why I don't want to do business meetings just for the sake of it. But there, I think there's a lot more we could do on the spiritual side that, sure. we, that we don't do that probably would take hours. Well, even, you know, I, I think that's actually a helpful designation that you have there of like physical business versus like spiritual business because sometimes even the things that we see as doing physical business like removing somebody from the role or adding a new member that can be seen as physical business but really like if you think about what do we understand theologically we are doing right now 
by adding a person to the membership of this church. That's spiritual business that's sure, happening yeah. right there. And so doing it's even in the way that business is conducted of showing this is actually something spiritual. This is part of our what we're called to do here as a church is to bring this person into membership. We're saying something about that person and we're we're making a commitment to that person by Definitely. voting them in. We're not just we're not just making sure the roles are accurate for the mailing list. Right, right. That's not what we're doing right now. Right. You know? Right, right. Yeah, and to be fair, Tim, you pointed out, I don't know, I'd have to go back and read whether or not they, they did these on Saturdays for, for spiritual reasons, but I could see it being a benefit to dealing with those things um, before, you know, as a separate day from the Lord's Day. Not saying it's how, wrong to do those on How those. often would they celebrate the Lord's Supper? I do not know that. Because I, yeah, I could see them doing this on Saturday, like the Saturday before they're going to be celebrating the Lord's Supper yeah, together. Yeah, sure. If I don't know. Yeah, that could be another thing, right? Yeah, examining people, whatever. So the next thing, too, real quick, before we wrap up the last section, is about the ritual of Baptist uh, discipline. And one of the key things that we're talking about here is the fact that being a part of a church is part of being a part of a covenanted community. We have church covenants. We have one for our church, whereby we're saying I give myself, I am joining this body of people and I commit myself and give myself um, uh, to these people. Um, the book writes here, uh, Gregory Wills, Baptist covenants committed church members to discipline. In the covenant common to most antebellum Baptist churches in Georgia, church members renounced considerable independent action and individual freedom. Announcing their separation from the world, they declared themselves henceforth to be his, that is Christ's, and no longer our own. Members then professed to give themselves to one another. He, th he then writes later on, more than anything else, Baptists understood mutual submission to mean voluntary subjection to church discipline. Um, whenever we have people, um, whenever we recite our ch church covenant or read it, um, or bring it out, or we ask people to be members, how often do they think about the church covenant as meaning, I am giving up some of my individual autonomy to this church by covenanting with this body and for mutual submission, as he points out here. Is that something we talk often about? Probably not. Probably not. <laughs> I don't remember the last time we read our church covenant. Do you remember? We used to at the old building. When Often. someone would get baptized, it would be read. Hmm. And then I feel like it was brought up again to do again, and maybe it lasted a little bit. But since I've been back almost 10 years, I've never heard it read. Hmm. I haven't heard it read since then. Mm -hmm. yeah, yeah, and I think that's a that would be something that, at least in the past, was was a... A lot of churches around here part. have it on their wall. Okay. A lot of the smaller uh, Southern Baptist churches in our association, when you walk into the church, you'll see it. It's posted. Mm -hmm. A big poster-like thing. That's pretty common. Framed, yeah. It's in pretty the South, too. Yeah, it's pretty common to see. We might have even had that at the old building or something. Right. Uh, but we haven't, we haven't had it here. We don't treat our covenant how we should. We could get it tattooed on our arms. 
Um, the problem is, is if you ever change churches, <laughs> we don't do that. We are yeah, committing. Yeah. Well, if you go to another, I church, hope we never edit it. <laughs> chances are, it's the same covenant. If you go to another yeah. church, <laughs> usually they have <laughs> similar Southern ones. Yeah. One. yeah, I don't. Yeah, I don't think we talk about uh, the giving up of freedom very much. But I will say, a lot of the more recent conversations I've had just with our own uh, congregation here using it in the term that they would use it. Yeah. Is I think people understand yeah. that there is a giving up of, of autonomy. Mm-hmm. Uh and that's expressed with hesitation to become a member. I think they um I can think of of uh, of of two individuals right now who are actually becoming members, but they wanted to take some time sure. to think about it because which is encouraging because sure. they weren't just taking it willy nilly. They mm-hmm. understood that this is a different level of commitment right here, and they wanted to make sure that they, number one, agreed with the church's statement of faith, and that they understood the commitment uh, that they were making to the rest of the body and what was being asked of them. And so I think that people, if you talk to them, will generally have an understanding of it, even though we don't talk very much about it. I don't know if that makes sense right, or not. Right, I think it's helpful for people to realize, too, that when we talk about um, giving up your individual autonomy, a parallel is found in marriage. Mm-hmm. Because um, whenever I married Courtney, I gave up the fact of I'm going to live my life just however I want to live it. I can't live my life, but now... I didn't make that promise when I married Alicia. You didn't. You made. She had to give up hers. She to had to give up you. hers to follow me. I but. was wondering how Spencer's <laughs> life changed. <laughs> well, a lot. What did you give up? I feel like you gained. We were just talking about this before. I'm not going to bring listen, it up. I listen, don't want to embarrass okay, anybody. So there's, listen, <laughs> listen, there's a Bible verse that says you, 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 um, you uh, gain you what you lose. Right. You take up your cross. What you lose, though, you find. Right. Okay. If you lose yourself, you'll find your life. I'm just wondering that's what kind you of lost. what happened to me. I lost a lot. I mean, you get to eat real meals <laughs> because of her. Yeah. I guess you could still live at home with your mom. I guess maybe she would make them for you. Yeah. Okay. Anyways, go on. Sorry. I just think I'm smart. I guess I found the right woman you for did. myself. I mean, I, guess. I agree. Okay. I, agree. You just I mean, I everyone makes fun of me, but actually, I think that shows I'm smart. You just said you had to give up all this stuff. I was wondering what it was. <laughs> okay. Well, one for one thing, I am not allowed to tickle her. If you try to tickle Courtney at all, she will get mad. Super mad. So before you were married, you could tickle her? No. But now that you're married, no, no more? Oh. No. No. So you didn't really give that up? No. <laughs> okay, here's one thing I gave up. Here's one thing I gave up. I don't... My wife... She would acknowledge this. She will fall asleep every single time we are watching anything after like 9.30. Of course, it's all black and white. No, it's not. No, it's not. Like we will watch anything and she falls asleep and I'm left alone, you know? So it's like if I I wanted to, I could go after and find somebody who's a night owl, but she is not. Do you ever just leave her on the couch by herself? Um, I maybe have, but like, yeah, she's laying on the couch and I'll say, you know, and. I usually now now I have to take the the dog and okay. grab the dog and go to the bathroom and take. I've left the Alicia on the couch by herself before. She <laughs> got sleep. mad. She got ticked. Yeah, Courtney got <laughs> mad. Yeah. Well, Why did you leave me down there? I used to get mad when man wake me up. Like I'm sleeping pretty good right here. I know. It's you like, like you look so peaceful. <laughs> did you give up anything, Tim, when you married Amanda? Yeah. 
Basketball. I would have kept going if I wasn't getting married. I had plenty of opportunity to keep playing, and I gave it up. So that was a big one for me. Okay. (laughs) And other hobbies. That one wasn't so much a hobby. You gave up all the joys in your life. (laughs) No, I did. I think that's part of it, though. If I wasn't married, I'd golf a lot. I don't get to golf a lot. I'm married. But I'm glad to give it up. I was glad to give it up. But that's what it is. It's the same with this church stuff we're talking about. There are things you give up. Yeah, going back to my illustration with marriage, by the way. Yeah, the point was is that's what you do for love because you're now part. You're now one yeah. with somebody else. And similarly, whenever you do that, you're in a sense you're marrying this church, mm-hmm. um, and yeah. we're all together. And so it's it's actually you gain a lot by I was joining. Thinking about that also, earlier, what has seeped into the church is the divorce culture. Yeah, right because. Today, sadly, people will divorce each other. Yeah. It's like, oh, it's mutual, whatever. And today, that's how people treat their church. It's it's a divorce. Yeah. But too often, it's one of the people just going off like scot-free or whatever. And mm-hmm. then the church is left with this hurt and this heartbreak sure. of the divorce that never gets dealt with mm-hmm. because the, the person was being selfish and just left. Yeah. Uh, and you see it constantly. Every pastor I talk to goes through that. Like, oh, yeah, they used to come here, but... I haven't seen them in a couple of years and no, you know, phone calls haven't really been turned out. I don't know. I hear they might be going here now. Right. You know, that kind of stuff. Right. And it's, it's sad. And every pastor I've talked to, it it's hurtful. Definitely. You know, or even to the church in general. Now, if you're talking to the church and the people in the church, it's, it's hurtful to sure. them that that's happening. And I think too, yeah. And it's also, we obviously know it's detrimental to those individuals mm-hmm. who are doing that. Um, the loving thing is to reach out to them, to try to rescue them. Um, that's what we're trying to do um, in, in church discipline. So, okay, well, why don't we wrap up this episode? Next week, we'll go to a different chapter, um, the next chapter um, in democratic religion. You might be able to make that a two-parter. Yeah, I could split it, but that would take work. Okay. It's going to take work to I, do I another have... one, ain't it? <laughs> You just got a bunch of paper for work this morning from Rhonda. Yeah, I did. <laughs> That's you what know, she said. Yeah. She said, does here's she, paper. Does You've she been working get, does so Does she hard. give you any paper? I don't notice I don't that. She paper. doesn't do that. I, you I don't use paper. I know why. He doesn't use it. I don't I use paper. I got a bunch of empty manila folders. Back <laughs> I know. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, the, yeah. Famous lines. I've got something on that. Yeah. <laughs> I, I had a file about that event. Yeah. It's all labeled I had was the event. from Randy in it. And it's, it's labeled the event title with a blank page. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I mean, yeah. It's not a joke. Those yeah. events ran smoothly. <laughs> <laughs> they ran just fine. Okay. I could do it again if you want. <laughs> Sure. (laughs) Why not? Why not? (laughs) Okay. All right. Well, thanks for listening to this. Um, Take care and God bless.